Gracious God, as we turn again to your scriptures, we ask that you would speak and that you would help us to hear. Lord, we pray that you would show and you would help us to see. Lord, we pray that you would move and you would help us to change. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. I don't think he was the first, uh, but I believe Frank Sinatra probably is the best-known singer of the song, My Way. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll make it clear. I'll state my case, of which I am certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway, and more, much more, I did it. I did it my way. Regrets, I've had a few, but... Then again, too many to mention, I did what I had to do and saw it through without exemption. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much, much more, I did it, I did it my way. Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew when I bit off more than I could chew, and through it all, whenever there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all and stood tall and did it did it my way. I did it my way. Of course, that's one way to do it, isn't it? But I wonder if there might be a better way. Because, of course, my way implies that I know and I choose and I live the way I want, the the best way I think. And yet, what if there's another way? Tonight, we're going to begin a new series as we ultimately strive to go deeper in our discipleship. And we start by not only setting up our story for Sunday, but really by finding sort of a counterexample to where we will be. During Lent, we're going to be looking at the life and example of David, and we'll see how he has a heart after God's own heart. He doesn't just love God, but he longs for God. And this doesn't mean that David doesn't make his mistakes, because of course we know he has his own mistakes, he has some doozies. But somehow his pursuit of God gives him a right posture for living life in a different way. In other words, his longing for God helps him to live in God's way, even as he makes mistakes along the way. Tonight we begin right before David comes onto the stage with his predecessor, King Saul. And as we'll see, Saul doesn't do it God's way, Saul does it Saul's way, and it just doesn't work. Of course, maybe, sometimes, we might be able to find ourselves in Saul too. So if you would, I would encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 15, or you can find it on the screens, and let's see what happens and what we might learn. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1. Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says, I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, 
Attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. So Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim. Two hundred thousand foot soldiers and ten thousand from Judah. Saul went to the city of Amalek and set an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites, so that I do not destroy you along with them, for you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. Then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak they totally destroyed. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel, I regret that I have made Saul king because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone on down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough. Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you not pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I I went on the mission. The Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. 
But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a human being that he should change his mind. Saul replied, I have sinned, please, but please honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Amen. Just to finish the story, because it gets a bit gruesome, Samuel, the last judge, the kingmaker, and the first of the prophets, has Agag brought before him and then dispatches him. Oh, how I've missed preaching the Old Testament. Uh, That said, yes, this feels a little foreign to us, doesn't it? A little archaic, maybe, even a little bit barbaric. And yet, as we look deeper, we may catch glimpses of even ourselves in this story. So, first, let's look back at the story and make sure we simply understand it. We begin with Samuel and God being very, very clear in their instructions to Saul. The Amalekites are to be punished because of what they did to the Israelites when they were down. God has decreed that they need to be utterly destroyed, which again seems ridiculously harsh, and yet it was the Amalekites who tried to completely wipe the Israelites out. Think mass genocide when the Israelites had just weakly come out of slavery and into the wilderness. And that's not to mention any and all of the other evil things they have done. And so everything needs to be destroyed. This didn't happen often, but it happened in very specific cases of God's justice and therefore no one should be profiting from this war. It's also worth noting that there are uh, several instances of the Israelites not fully carrying out this command when God gives it, and it always comes back to bite them multiple times in painful ways in the future. All that to say, God's instructions are clear. And yet, while Saul does win the battle, he is disobedient regarding the spoils. He does the hard part, he quits too early, which is when our passage switches back to Samuel, and God is not happy with Saul's lack of faithfulness. Samuel pursues Saul and finds out that Saul has been busy setting up a monument in his own honor. When Samuel finally does catch up to Saul, Saul is reveling in his victory, in his success, in his accomplishments. But all Samuel can hear is the bleeding and lowing of the animals that aren't supposed to still be alive. Again, as far as Saul is concerned, he is blameless here. He is only right and righteous because he doesn't even see where he has fallen short. What's more, he's the king. So how can he fall short? Why can't he do anything he wants? Plus, he's decided in his own wisdom to use some of the the salvage plunder to become a sacrifice to the Lord. So hasn't he really redeemed what was supposed to be lost? Only again, that's not how Samuel or God sees it. 
Because, of course, God would prefer obedience to sacrifice. In other words, God can't just be bought off. And this might be insightful for us, even in light of Jesus' perfect sacrifice, because part of the point is that it's always better to not sin than to need a sacrifice for our sin. It's only at this point that Saul finally sees. And yet, based on where we were just a moment ago, the sense you get is that he's more sorry he was caught than sorry for what he did. And Samuel reveals that the monarchy is going to move on from Saul to another, and as we'll see on Sunday, his successor will be David. The remaining piece of our time in this message, I thought we might reflect a little bit more on Saul. Take a hard Lenten look at ourselves, because I am struck by Saul's lost longing for God. And I think it's worth looking at this through three particular images that I find vivid in their symbolism and instructive in their simplicity. Namely, the bleeding and lowing of the plunder, a monument in my own honor, and a hem torn away. The first thing that strikes me and scares me in this passage is Saul's utter blindness to his own disobedience. Samuel, on behalf of God, is very clear in his instructions. Saul is blatant in his disobedience, and yet he doesn't see it. When Samuel finally catches up to Saul, Saul greets him and points to what he thinks is, I did it. I did exactly what you told me. Now you should celebrate with me. Even after Samuel confronts him a little, Saul is still adamant that he did obey. But of course, the sound of the bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the cattle condemn him. Which is when he then starts to make excuses, tries to justify his behavior, passes the blame on to the soldiers. It was for God, so we could make sacrifice. It was because of the soldiers, because they wanted it. It was because I was afraid of them. But through all of this, Saul is unable to even see, let alone admit his disobedience, which, by the way, is part of the point of this season of Lent that begins tonight. Because we may have some overt and known sins that we are struggling with that we need to confess and repent of, but we also may have other sins we are completely unaware of that we should look for, that we should listen for, so that, again, we can repent Which brings us to the second image, because Saul builds a monument to honor himself, an edifice to his own ego, an idol to I, a statue of self. Notice it would have made sense after his victory to have found Samuel and to have spent some time worshiping God. After all, this was a mission from God. I was successful in my mission from God. Where's Samuel the priest? Let us celebrate with God. And yet, that's not his first response. Instead, he chooses to honor himself. Frankly, this is a large part of his downfall throughout this passage because he's much more concerned with his own honor than with God's. 
Even though he used to be small in his own eyes, God has raised him up. But Saul is convinced he's done it on his own, and everyone should know it because everyone can see it. He has become now large in his own eyes instead of seeing God that way. Even at the very ending of our reading, I think it's in verse 30, we see him begging Samuel to come with him to honor him so that he can worship Samuel's God. In other words, he seems to care much more about what everyone else thinks of him than what God does. During this season of Lent, it's worth trying to identify the ways that we honor ourselves more than God. Sure, sure, we don't normally build ourselves physical monuments. If you do, we should talk later because that, that's, that's one we should work on. And yet, how many of us find our worth and our identity in similar things? The monument of our success, the monument of our status, our popularity, the monument of our accounts, the monument of our legacy, the monument of our family, the monument of our importance. In some ways, none of these are bad things. A statue's not bad. But when we use it to honor ourselves more than God, something changes. Which brings us to the final image, the torn hem. If you've been with us for the past two weeks, hopefully that moment stood out to you when I read it, because we've mentioned it in the last two Sundays, because that is the same word in the Hebrew, kanafs, that we've kind of indirectly been talking about, the hem or the tassels or the wings of your robe. The woman who was suffering reached out to Jesus and touched the hem, the kanafs of his robe, and and she was healed because the prophet Malachi says there will be healing in his kanafs, in his wings, in his tassels, in his hem. We hear it first in the book of Leviticus that you should wear tassels, that you should wear kanafs, that you should wear a hem around your garment to remind you of the commandments of God. It's like tying a, a, a string around your finger so that you, that's one of those old, it's like putting a text message in and sending yourself a text message later so that you can remember something. They didn't have phones back then, believe it or not. And so they would sew these intricate things on the hem of their robe so that anytime you saw it or if you happen to stop too fast and it kind of swung, it would, and you would remember, thou shalt not lie hang on, i got to tell you something different. Thou shalt not murder. Hang on, I should do something. Thou, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It was a reminder for them. Saul clutches for Samuel, trying to cling to him, to them, and it tears off. And Samuel recognizes the powerful imagery and points out that Saul is torn off as well. Because, of course, Saul didn't pursue God's way. Saul knows better than that, doesn't he? He he doesn't care about commands, does he? He sees himself as more worthy, maybe even the most worthy. 
In other words, he trusts my way. Which, alas, is sometimes what we do too. Because we know better, don't we? We, like Saul, want to be in control. We want to be in command. We want to be in charge, at least of our own lives. Which maybe is why some of us have lost some of our longing for God. And and again, maybe this is what we're doing in this season of Lent. Putting God back on the throne, recognizing that He is the King of kings, recognizing again, remembering that He is the sovereign over our lives and our souls. But what if we could learn to love God more? What if we could pursue God better? What if we could increase our longing after God? I wonder how that might change us. This last image, the, the tearing of fabric, reminds me of another Lenten image that we'll, that we'll talk about about 40 days from now on a, on a certain Friday. Because when Jesus dies on a cross, the curtain of the temple that separates us from God is torn in two. Because even as we enter into this time of penitence and repentance, we still remember the good news that God has come near, that God is with us, and that God loves us. Maybe as we recognize God's closeness, we will be able to move closer to Him so that we can cease living as much in my way and live better in His. If you would join me in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for this season that we don't just celebrate in, but a season that is supposed to be and can be different, that that you are a God who helps us to mark time so that we might take a season and look inward and look outward and say we're sorry and strive to change. Lord, we thank you for this season that we can recognize that you have come near, which allows us to be different. Lord, help us experience this season differently. Help us even now be thinking of ways to change how this next 40 days may go. And we thank you, Lord, for Jesus, as he even now in this season begins his journey toward a cross. Help us walk with him, celebrate him, and learn to follow him better. Lord, we pray all these things in his strong name. Amen.